This is Michelle McKenzie, and welcome to the WTF Podcast, where we demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. Shelly Omilede Bell, aka Omi Bell, dabbled in all sorts of ventures, such as building a tent in her living room to rent on Airbnb, building furniture, owning a t-shirt company and a print shop before she started Black Girl Ventures, a social enterprise that creates access to social and financial capital for Black and Brown women founders. Stick around to hear how this system disruptor moves ideas to profits while empowering people to live more authentically. Before we dive into this episode, Have you been thinking about your next vacation yet? If you are seeking a high-quality private aviation firm that you can trust for your next business or personal trip, let the friendly and experienced team at Farringdon Jets help you fly in style. Visit FarringdonJets.com to start planning your trip today. Use the link in the show notes for special offers. Named one of the top 100 powerful women in business by Entrepreneur Mag and the Entrepreneur of the Year by Technically DC, she is among the nation's most sought after inspirational speakers in the DC metro area with features in Forbes, The Washington Business Journal, News One, People of Color in Tech, and Political Live. Omi, welcome to the WTF Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I cannot wait to get into this conversation. I love that it's WTF. I saw that and I was like, yes, count me in. I figured you would. The first time I came across you was that speech of yours from ringing the bell on Wall Street. And it was so impactful. Before we get into what Black Girl Ventures is, tell me about what that moment meant to you. Oh, when we, so Black Girl Ventures has a partner with, partnership with NASDAQ. I said, this is what I wanted to do. This is one of the things that I wanted to do is ring the bell. And they were, oh, we'll see. It's hard to get in. And I was like, okay, I'm doing it. Just let me know when, because we're going to make it happen. At first, really early conversations with them before we even solidified a partnership all the way. I'm big on manifesting things. I'm always manifesting something. I'm like, I'm going to do that. And then here we are. What it meant to have to do it, but it would have also meant to have my daughter there who's eight. And there's a really lovely picture of us hugging at the podium. And I have a side-by-side on my Instagram at Omi Bell. I have, like, a picture of me holding her on my shoulder and cutting wood. One of my entrepreneur endeavors, I was building my own furniture. And on the other side, I have this awesome picture of us hugging at the NASDAQ podium. And it was like a real hug. And to have all of our alumni there, funder, past funders, board members, it was a real celebration of where I have gotten to so far. Because I started Black Girl Ventures in a house in Southeast D.C., right? Just with this idea that I can help, I could be helpful and what it meant to get funding to people and to now be at NASDAQ ringing a bell. It was surreal because they it's a whole ceremony, by the way, like, you do that part, and then you go out, and they, you're on the front of the building. So you're on the huge billboard in, in, over near, like, Times Square, and your your company is there. We got to send a whole video of us and things like that. So it was just really amazing. The whole experience was amazing for me and everybody that was there. One of the things about that experience was the speech that I gave. 
And I was really clear that I didn't want to give just a regular old speech that doesn't speak to our historical trauma, that doesn't speak to how or why we got to this divide in funding, and speak to the American story that for Black and brown people doesn't include funding. And so I worked on that speech. I'm the kind of writer, so I used to do performance poetry. So the kind of writer I am, like I used to do, I had a stint in journalism too. The deadline is coming, and I'm writing, like, right before the deadline. <laughs> I'm like, I got to get this in, because I got to feel it. I got to get to the point where I feel the thing that I want to do before I can do it. And so earlier that morning, I put the finishing touches on the speech, and I'm like, I felt like ancestrally, I was like, yes. We were like, yes, let's go. And so it was a magical moment. That speech did what it was supposed to do. That pulled me in. That's what attracted to me to you as a speaker and to learn more about Black Girl Ventures. You mentioned manifestation. Tell me how you manifested Black Girl Ventures. What is it and what's the problem that it's solving? So I think it's interesting in terms of manifesting Black Girl Ventures. I think that to zoom out from that, a part of the story is I was, I got laid off twice. Prior to the last time I got laid off, I was engaged to a man who did not want me to start a business. And because he just didn't think it was, he was just like, oh, this is not going to work for our family. This is not going to be sustainable. He's a little afraid. And so I didn't. I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I'm getting married. Like, maybe I'm not supposed to. Like, you're supposed to, in my mind at that time, I'm like, you're supposed to compromise. You're supposed to think about what your soon-to-be husband wants. So I didn't. I went back to work. I've had many careers. I've worked at a U.S. Patent and Trademark Office as a patent examiner. I was a K-12 teacher. I'm a computer scientist. I taught computer science in high school. I worked in workforce development. So I was just a major career switcher. No job was ever great. I'm a terrible employee because it just doesn't work for me. I don't get it. If I don't get what you're doing, I'm the person in the meeting like, hey, didn't we say we was going to fix that one thing? And then the person's like, roll it Get into trouble a lot for doing that too. Yes, I'm that person. I relate. So when I got laid off, I went home and I called California Psychics. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> what am I going to do? Somebody help me. <laughs> and the woman, she told me, when you find the thing you want to do, the money will come and you're not going to be with that guy. So within two months, my entire life flipped upside down. I got unengaged, disengaged, whatever you call it, unfianced, whatever. And I was like, you know what? I'm not about to cry. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm about to start a business. I am going in. I'm going in. I didn't know what the heck I was going to do, to be honest. I was like, what am I going to I don't know what that means. But in my fight or flight response, I cleared my living room, repainted the walls. I don't know. I think I was just having a trauma response and started building my own furniture. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to build a tent in my living room and I'm going to rent it out on Airbnb. So that's what I did. <laughs> I built a tent in my living room and I rented it out on Airbnb and everybody thought I was crazy. I was at the hardware store and they're like, man, what are you building? I'm like, I'm going to build a tent, put it in my living room, and I'm going to rent it out on Airbnb. And they're like, that's not going to work. I'm like, I bet it will. Watch. And it did work. And I had people, one woman that came and stayed with me in our living room because some, here's my thought. My thought was, People, if you're a single parent, which I was, and at that time, now a single parent of three, if you're a single parent, you don't have a way to make money off of Airbnb if you don't have an extra room. So what could you do? So my thought was you could use your living room. 
and I could franchise these tents out. And everybody using tents in their living room. Also, women having a safe space to come to stay with other women because I was a performance poet and I had toured before. And men could shout from the stage. I need somewhere to stay tonight. And women are like, okay, and that's safe for them. I can do that. I'm a woman on tour. And so my other thought was like, what if women are traveling for a different reason? They could find a low-cost place to stay, safe space with a woman and her kids. At least that was my thought. It didn't quite work out that way because this woman staying in my living room helped me define what safe space actually is. We talk about it a lot, but if we all walk into a building and it's structurally sound, it's technically a safe space. But safe space means safe people. And she was going through a lot. She's talking to my kids about it. She was crying about stuff she was going through. My one-year-old trying to get in the tent with her. Like It was like, okay, <laughs> this is not it, all right? I'm out cut it. That idea was out. I did try other things. I tried to franchise it through different networks, stage it in homes that were being sold for the properties that were being sold to other people. It was actually cool for a second. I'm like, I got to make money. So when I was teaching, I learned how to do t-shirts. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to launch a t-shirt line. The first line I launched was the LGBTQ line. It sucked. Nobody bought it. It just didn't work out. And I was on the phone with a printer I was working with at the time. And I said, you know what? It's made by a black woman. I should put that on a shirt. And so literally I put, I created the Made by a Black Woman logo to pattern after the Made in America logo, put it on a shirt, and it took off. Everybody loved it. My mom invested $10,000 of her retirement money for me to build that company. I launched a t-shirt line and a print shop right beside each other. And I started getting print clients for small festivals and like local influencers. That blew up. Now I'm running a business. I'm running a business both ways. I have this product-based business and a service-based business. In the end of around fall of 2016 is when the news came out that Black women were starting businesses at six times the national average, yet receiving less than 1% of venture capital. And my thought was, I can do something about that. I don't know why I was thinking that. Like, you could build a tent in your living room. Yeah, yeah I could do yeah. that. I was like, okay. So I put it up on meetup.com. It was called Black Girl Vision at that time. And a bunch of women showed up, 30, 30 women. I cooked all the food myself. It was a brunch, which I vowed to never to do again. And thank God I haven't had to. And I charged an admission fee at the door. And we voted with marbles and coffee mugs. If you like that person, four women pitch. If you like that pitch, you would your marble and their coffee mug. And that was it. And I gave the money right back out to the woman who won in cash. I didn't really think too much about it. And I kept doing it. I started looking at different ways to build it, how we could just systematically. I think I would say like my arts brain coupled with my computer science brain is what makes me the best business owner that I am. Because those two things, like thinking logically, but also being willing to think and able to think big and creative is the key. And I started looking at different places to host Black Girl Ventures. The pitch competition was our signature thing. That's what we got good at. And so now we are in year seven. We have three main programs. We have an emerging leaders program, which is efforts across a few different cities where we are teaching women not just to be business owners, but business leaders. We have a HBCU program that's focused on students 18 to 24, and it's an accelerator program. And then we still have the signature pitch competition. We funded about 450 women-owned companies. We have worked with large partners like Nike, PIMCO, PayPal, Johnny Walker Brands, Diageo, to make this happen. 
have been speaking with Omi Bell, the founder of Black Girl Ventures, about how she manifested Black Girl Ventures, her various career paths before founding Black Girl Ventures, and how it's been going and what's up next, including her new book. Make sure you keep listening. That's a great story. I think it's also a testament to the multi-potentialites out there who are trying to figure out what to do with all of their interests. Like they can all come together to work in a beautiful way. And I think you just expressed that nicely. What should black and brown female founders who are listening to this podcast know about fundraising and entrepreneurship to help them avoid some of the struggles other women in that space haven't encountered? Yeah, What should they do differently? One, wrap your head around, you're going to have some struggles. I think that I want to set into place that building a business is not easy, but you can do it. It's a new school. It's a version of school. You're going to be learning from yourself. You're going to be learning from every step that you take. The key is to make sure that you are learning. About a week and a half ago now, I testified in front of Congress. And one of the congresswomen asked me, like, hey, you think that you can build a business without And I'm like, you can't build anything without risk. You can't build an Ikea shelf without risk. Like, you can't build anything without risk. So first things first is get into the the mindset of this is a risk and I'm okay with it. And in that case, I need to think about what kind of risk do I want to take? What should that risk look like? How can I mitigate that risk? So I have a couple of friends that have been to like business school. They have the MBAs. And I'm like, hey, I'm thinking a lot about going. Because I'm like, maybe I'm missing something as an entrepreneur. And they're like, maybe not. And I'm like, okay, what did you learn? A couple of things that they say that they're the anchors. One, the network. So being associated with the business school gives you a sort of open network. So that's one. Another thing was risk mitigation. And I think that is the one part of an entrepreneur that you don't necessarily prepare for when you have the idea. You say, I'm going to do this. I got this idea. Let me try it. And you're trying. But instead of thinking of, okay, what kind of risk am I taking on? How can I mitigate those risks the best? So I would say that's the thing to be thinking about. Also note that there's nothing wrong with you. In funding conversations, we talk a lot about what can the women do. There's nothing wrong with you. The women don't need to be fixed, okay? (laughs) You might need some empowerment. You might need to be encouraged. You might need to jump out there more. You might need to speak up more. You might need all those things. But you don't need to be fixed. There's nothing wrong with you. You should try all that is available to try and timeline everything. When I started Black Girl Ventures, I was running my print shop. And I took the risk of living off of a small contract that I had and letting my print shop operations slow to really put all of my effort into BGV for three months. And I said, if Black Girl Ventures doesn't take off in three months, I'm done with it. I'm going back to this nice print shop that I don't necessarily love to print t-shirts, but I am definitely making the money I want to make. And I'm going to focus on that. And so I put all my energy into Black Girl Ventures for that three months and it took off. So I tell people, you can do everything you want to do. You just have to do it one at a time. I love that. You mentioned also that the pitch competition is the signature event for Black Girl Ventures. What pitching advice would you give to women to help them stand out and improve their fundraising outcomes? Noting that nothing's wrong with them, they don't need to be fixed, but how do they show up to win? Great question. A couple of things. 
Pitches are simple. What is it? Why is it? Why you for it? And why do I care about it? Okay. What is it? Why is it? Why you for it? And why do I care about it? So the why do I care about it part is the market opportunity part. The why you for it part is the why is your team the best to tackle this challenge? Let's take it all the way before you even get to the pitch competition. Knowing how to complete an application is the key. Because you have to apply for the competition and you, you're fumbling the, the application. You're not going to get in. One of the main reasons why people don't get into the BGV pitch is because they can't properly answer the question, what problem does your business seek to solve? Every business is solving a problem, somebody's problem, else you're probably not going to make revenue, right? People are building doors, doors need doorknob, you're a doorknob maker, boom, you got the best doorknobs in the business. Okay, great. What are the number of doorknobs, people needing doorknobs available? That's the market opportunity. So know your numbers in terms of what's the revenue potential. Know that we know that you don't have it 100% all together and done, else you wouldn't need us. So don't think it has to be some level of perfection. It just has to be comprehensively talked about. So you can't give us one half and be like, look how great it is, though. People gonna people like hair. Black people got hair. So why don't you get hair? Yeah, it's your responsibility to help me get it. You know what I mean? I might not get it right away. Or I may have heard so I've heard so many pitches and reviews, so many applications that is that literally as soon as you start talking, I know whether or not you understand what you're doing. You don't know that's what I know. Cause you're thinking, I'm just putting on my best foot. I'm just telling you everything I need to tell you. And one of my first fundraising calls, I thought I had it all together. I thought, I'm like, mm, I'm prepared. If they ask me why BGV, I know it. If they ask me where BGV is operating, I know it. If they ask me how many things BGV, how, what our impact can be, yada, yada. What I wasn't prepared for was the question of, well, why are you talking to me? I'm not diversity and inclusion. We already got a white woman. that we, They didn't say white woman, I'll take that back. We already got a women's initiative that we're funding. And at the time, it was an all-white women's initiative. And like, we already got an initiative that we're funding. I wasn't prepared to say why I was the absolute best. I wasn't prepared to say, I know you got this women's initiative that you're funding, but it is not representative of the local market in which you're operating. Here's how Black Girl Ventures brings that. Anytime you can work in the intersection of, learn, of adding value by educating the, giving me an aha moment, you're more likely to get funding from me. But it's not you trying to, you're not convincing me. That's not necessarily it. You are giving me an opportunity and you're adding value to my portfolio, right? So when, if I say I already funded one of those, then it's up to you to let me know how are you different from what I'm already funding. Don't be afraid to answer questions about your revenue. Sometimes people have the perfect pitch. Like I pitched people and their pitch was amazing. I've coached people and their pitch was amazing. But then the questions, that's where they died. They couldn't answer. They didn't want to answer questions about revenue because their revenue was low. If you have low revenue, then you talk about your potential and you talk about the amount of time that you've been in. That's how you get people to understand comprehensively. You understand how this business can grow. That's the point. If you have low revenue, don't be afraid of that. Just be able to comprehensively talk. To What's different about people is their approach. So mm -hmm. McDonald's and Wendy's and Burger King, they all do the same thing. Yet you'll ride down a long street and you'll see one of them two and three blocks away from each other. What's the difference? The difference is the story. The difference is the theme. 
The difference is the approach. And the only reason why I'm saying don't say that's why I'm here, because I've been in pitches where people literally do say, because somebody's like, hey, tell us a little bit more about whatever. We don't understand this part. I've heard women literally say, and men too, and it's not just a women thing. I've heard people literally say, that's why I'm here. If I had more funding from you, I could do da da That's not adding value. That's, that is showing need, not opportunity. So what I want, the response to questions where you think to yourself, because anybody out there, there could be a question that you get where you think to yourself, I'm just going to say that's why I'm here. I don't know what that question might be. But in that moment, what you should do is comprehensively talk about your business, right? And talk about your vision for your business. So you want the response to that, you want to say something according to the market. Our view is if we can capture 1% of this market, we can actually reach this month over month revenue or this year over year revenue, which will then do X, Y, and Z for our business. You want everything that you're saying to not necessarily ever be like, unless they ask you directly like why, you, you won't say I did or I am. Other than you're talking about your team, you will say I was a doctor and that's how I know skincare. That's great. Stuff like that. But just people get really offended by the questions they get asked. And that is where they just, they get, they get canceled out because nobody wants to work with a person that's not coachable. And nobody wants to work with a person who is bringing to the table, like this level of you should do this because, or sometimes the level of desperation that brings a certain attitude that shows a lack of mental wellness around you being able to take feedback. It's okay if you lack mental wellness. It's okay to figure out how you get help in that way. But when you bring it to the stage and you bring the attitude of, because it's great, of course me, or like, why not me? Or like that, and your way and tone would make people turn people off, unfortunately. No, I can see that. What would you say are the top three biggest mistakes? They might have been included in some of the ones that you just mentioned. But if you have to pick out the top three, what would you say are the top three mistakes that you see people make that just, as you say, cancel them out? That's it for you. Yeah. Not understanding your business model, not understanding your market size and opportunity and whether or not this can actually scale and not knowing your numbers. So somebody asks you, okay, you're selling hot sauce. Okay, great. How much does it cost you to make this hot sauce? You need to know the cost of the bottle, the cost of the bottling, the cost of the sauce, the cost of the product you have to discard to create the sauce, the cost of the top, the cost of the shipping, the cost of the labeling. You need to know every bit of that and you need to be able to say how you can create larger margins, lowering your production costs. So not being able to talk about revenue. Some people get real antsy. People want money, but get afraid to talk about it. Why is that? Historically, I just think that depending on your family dynamic, where you came from, how you grew up, a lot of times, and unfortunately, it is the case that in a Black community, in a heavily concentrated way, there is a lack of generational wealth and there's a lack of knowledge. So if there's a lack of generational wealth, then there's a lack of generational knowledge about wealth, right? And so therefore, it's just not a norm. It's just not a norm. I don't, I didn't, I never knew how much my parents made growing up. I don't know how much they, I might have, maybe when we got older, but growing up as a kid, even as in my teenage years, I don't know that the conversation was talking about like how much they make versus how much they spend. I know that we had what I would thought was nice things as a kid, but you don't really, but that's not related to money. It's like we had, as a kid, like growing up. So at Black Girl Ventures, we have a part of one of our accelerators where we ask people about their money. 
And even if you, even the people who got good, like money kind of conversation growing up, something happens when they go to college. Like when they go off and leave the house and have to do it for themselves for the first time or go to college and have to make these financial decisions. There's somewhere where we don't go back and talk to our parents about it because we want to kind of be on our own or our parents don't have the advice we need. If you're a first generation college student or first generation out of the house. <clears throat> so I think there's just a lack of understanding across the board and a lack of access. And that lack of access breeds a lack of knowledge, which breeds a lack of proximity to wealth. I think this is a good segue into the question, what sets Black Girl Ventures apart from other programs that exist to support Black and Brown female founders? The community. So our, I really concentrated on Black Girl Ventures not being one to many, but being many to many, meaning that a lot of, and, there, and there's great organizations that do great work. So this, I don't want to put it in a like, this organization is not doing, this organization is doing, but I would just say that a lot of organizations focus on one-to-many connections, meaning we deliver to you. We're going to give you grants. We're going to give you a course. We're going to give you opportunity. We're going to give you resources. And we're saying it's community or nothing. So we're going to start you off, but actually the community is going to give you resources. The community is going to help you grow. You like woman to woman, that the knowledge you get is greater than anything that BGV could ever provide. And we're so clear on that. And we don't falter on, hey, get the funding, get into the community. Now, I tell people that all the time, too. There's multiple places where, like, you want to be in that community. You want to get that proximity. And sometimes, not at Black Ventures, but sometimes you even have to pay for that proximity. You want to get into this level of conference. You want to get into this level of social club. I would say that Black Ventures is bringing this community of nothing feel all the way around. Another thing is that we are constantly deploying capital in different ways. So if it's not the traditional BGV pitch, you get a stipend for being in any of our programs. You also, for the, we have a newer competition called the pull-up and pitch that is deploying capital like on the ground immediately. And so it's all about like, how can we create capital where there isn't any? We have this crowdfunded pitch competition, which also sets us apart, which means not only do you get in you raise, you learn how to get capital, but you also learn how to raise capital. And then we grant that capital back out to you. So Omi, as we're getting ready to wrap up, what are the success metrics for Black Girl Ventures? How do you measure success? Yes, we look at diversity in terms of like how we bringing in the participants based off of where they live, based off of work life experience, based off of different kinds of businesses that we want to fund. We also look at like growing a community and growing service. Like, how do we serve? How many women are we serving? We also look at how many people we can connect to bigger opportunities. Can we connect you to a corporation for you to be, for them to become your customer? Can we connect you to other funders, investment, get you other opportunities, and growing your network? How big can we grow your network so that you can have the kind of network that constantly delivers for you? I love that. Tell the listeners where they can learn more about Black Girl Ventures and what it has to offer and more about you. You can follow Black Girl Ventures on Twitter at BGirlVentures, on Instagram at Black Girl Ventures. Also visit us at BlackGirlVentures.org to apply for programs and learn more about what we got going on. For me, you can go to at OmiBell. I'm on Instagram. Also, the OmiBell on Twitter. Also, I have a book available for pre-order called Originate, Motivate, Innovate, Seven Steps 
for building a billion dollar network. And you can go and find it where you buy your books, Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, and order your copy. Omi, thank you so much for stopping by and sharing generously your knowledge and your experience with the listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is great. To my listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't keep good content to yourself. If you enjoyed the episode, let me know by rating, reviewing, and sharing the episode with some friends. Subscribe to the podcast at its home on the Alive Podcast Network. Follow the podcast on your favorite podcast streaming platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and more to get notified when new episodes drop. To be a guest or sponsor the podcast, email where's the funding at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at where's the funding underscore podcast and follow me, your host, Michelle J. McKenzie, and the show page on LinkedIn. Join me next Friday for another episode.